you, Heather and team. Great job today. Take out your Bibles. We're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And um, if you don't have a Bible, I think we probably do have one we can loan you. If you need a Bible this morning, just slip your hand up nice and high, and one of our ushers will help you with that. And we encourage you to uh, take advantage of that. Thank you, ushers, for serving us in that way. 1 Samuel 15, and uh, we're going to also take out our sermon notes now. If you use the paper version, they're in your bulletin. If you use uh, one of the smart devices, you know, your phone or your tablet or whatever, then you can find us on the Uversion app under live events and today's date, and I think that will help you uh, find what you, what you need. Have you noticed in life, maybe, maybe you've noticed this with me, that, that a lot of times things can look or seem one way on the surface, but in reality can be quite another way. I don't know, how many of you have noticed that? There's lots of stuff going on that we don't always see. We judge by what we see or by what we know, but that isn't always enough information, is it? And I was thinking of a few of these things, uh, like the CEO of a company called Digital Equipments, who in 1977 was quoted as saying, there is no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home. Hmm. I have a computer in my pocket. Uh, I'm reading my notes this morning off a computer. I wonder if that company is still around. They didn't have enough information, really, did they, when he made that statement? Or the club manager in 1954 who told Elvis Presley at one of his first performances in Nashville, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. Kind of missed the boat. Or the CBS producer in 1958 who told Barbara Walters... With your voice, no one is going to let you broadcast. If she keeps it up for three more years, she will have have been on the air for 60 years. So we don't always have enough information. There's, There's stuff that we see on the surface, but we don't always know what's going on beneath the surface. We get, we get the idea, right? There, there is just not always enough info. And in the same way that surprising and unexpected positive things can happen when we, when we see uh, that kind of information, there can also be problems that are unseen. There, are, there can also be major trouble that is hiding just beneath the surface beyond our current point of understanding. And to illustrate that today, I, I want to sort of remind you about the horrible thing that happened on December the 7th, 1941, in Pearl Harbor. And we're going to watch this clip together, and then I'll be back in just a moment. Let's watch. Hey. I got a large haze. That's too big to be planes, right? Is that what you want to do? Night to night fire? Boom! Wrong move. Lieutenant, radar's picking up a large return, moving in from the northeast. Hang on. Relax. It's flight of B-17s coming in from the mainland. Where the heck of a lot of B-17s? Good shot, huh? This better be good, Commander. One of our destroyers reports having fired and sunk enemy submarine attempting to enter Pearl Harbor at 0653. 720. 
We had decoder delays, Admiral. Relay this to Washington and recall the staff. Failure. Peace talks. Useless. Thurman here. Tokyo transmitting to their embassy in Washington. Discontinue use of your decoding machine and dispose of immediately. Special emphasis on destroying important parts. Do you read that? Acknowledge. Admiral, Naval Intel intercepted a transmission from Tokyo to the Japanese embassy in Washington, instructing them to break apart all decoder machines and burn all secret documents. Japanese are expecting a war. Should we? Did you catch the infamous quote? Relax, it's a flight of B-17s coming in from the mainland. But the reality was quite different, wasn't it? And the disparity between perception and reality was astronomical. Relax was the last thing they needed to do. What they saw on radar that day was just the first wave of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Hundreds of Japanese bombers descended that day in an attack that lasted just two hours but was devastating and catapulted the U.S. into all-out war. The Japanese managed to destroy 20 American naval vessels, including eight enormous battleships and almost 200 airplanes, and more than 2,000 American soldiers and sailors died in the attack. Another 1,000 were wounded. It was it was a terrible, terrible day. And perhaps some of that devastation could have been avoided had military officials taken the early warning signs more seriously and, more importantly, looked a little deeper into the situation. That's all they needed to do. They needed to look a little deeper into the situation. But instead, they found other ways to explain it away. And so, and so it was just, you know, business as usual. And look a little deeper is what we want to do in this series over the next eight weeks. We want to look a little deeper into each and every one of our own lives and understand what it really means to be emotionally, spiritually healthy. And so we're going to take some time and talk about life rhythms, living an emotionally healthy life. You see, we, we live our lives and what we show people, what people see on the surface is really only a small part of who we are. We don't always think of it in those terms, but it's, it's really quite true. It's kind of like uh, this iceberg. I want you to see this picture on the screen. Only about 10% of an iceberg is visible above the surface of the water. Did you know that? 90% is submerged. And our lives are like that. Our exterior life, what people see on the surface, accounts for about 10% of who we, who we really are. The, the other 90% that people rarely see is what comes out when we are under extreme stress or emotional strain, and that is what we want to talk about over this next little while. Much of this material is based on a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a gentleman named Pete Scazzaro. Uh, some of you may have met him when he was uh, at the church uh, a year and a half or two years back. 
and we are, we are going to be looking at his book together. Our community life groups, our small group Bible studies, will be tracking with the DVD study material that is easily accessed now through Right Now Media, as well as an available workbook that will be provided for our facilitators and uh, is also available for you to pre-order today. So if you're in a community life group, we are taking pre-orders for the workbook. It's $10, and if you want to sort of be able to follow along and write your own notes in the book, then that is available for you. We're going to be sending the order out early this week in hopes that we'll have it have them back next Sunday. There's also a, a full-length book, and so if you're a reader and you're someone who wants to sort of follow along with the material and read the book during the week and, and sort of stay up to date with what's happening during the series, then that book is also available for pre-order. It's $15, the, the full-length book by Pete Scazzaro, and you can pre-order them back at the Information Center right after the service. And so there's a sign-up sheet there. We can uh, happily take your money. Um, we, we'd love to actually take your money ahead of time so that we don't order in a bunch of books and, and get stuck with them. That's really why we're doing this. And uh, if you don't have cash today for a book, that's okay. We take debit. We take Visa. It's all covered. Everybody good? All right. Good. No, it really is good material, and I, I encourage you, uh, if, if you want to just look a little deeper into this whole idea of emotional health, you need to pick this up. The author of the book, Pete Scazzaro, says this. He says, I became a Christian at the age of 19. But for the next 17 years as a Christian, the truth was the gospel didn't extend very far beneath the surface of my own iceberg, using that iceberg imagery that we had on the screen. He said, I continued just to live life on the surface. I was doing a lot of things. I was, I was doing everything I was supposed to do, but, but underneath I was, you know, I was angry and I was tired and I was dealing with all of this stuff. And it wasn't really who I was. And, and you can read about Pete's experience in the book. To introduce this theme today of being emotionally healthy, we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament that's a story about Israel's first king, King Saul. And so I had you turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And if I fail to mention that, now you can do that. 1 Samuel 15. And um, we're going to look at this story together. Saul was emotionally unhealthy before anyone knew what being emotionally healthy was all about. And so we're going to look at this story, and let me read it for you. I'm starting at verse 1. I'm just going to read a few verses there, and then we're going to drop down to verse 13. But here's what it says. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Drop down to verse 13. The battle has taken place, and here's what's happening. When, Saul reached, when Samuel reached him, Saul said... The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head, or, or did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. 
Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. But Samuel, I've lost... Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And so as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. And Saul says again, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. What a story. Uh, Let me just fill in a little bit of the middle for you. Saul was supposed to go. We all caught this in the early verses. Saul was supposed to go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. But he doesn't do it. And God was very specific about everything people, livestock, everything. But Saul gets to the battle, and he starts thinking, I guess, a little pragmatically, a little practically. It didn't make sense for for him and his men to destroy everything. That's not the way they, they did things. So instead of following God's instruction, they spared the king, and they spared the best of the sheep, and the cattle, and the fat calves, and the lambs. All the good stuff they kept as, as plunder for themselves. And here's the biggest problem with the story. Saul doesn't even think twice about it. It doesn't even cross his mind that he's doing anything wrong. He did not see the issue. He was so broken and so self-absorbed that it never even occurred to him that he had done anything even remotely wrong. When it came to obeying God, Saul had a blind spot as big as the city of Montreal. And it's like he didn't even know it. And, you know, we, we go back in his story... Remember, Saul's anointed king, and one of the, the first things that happens is he's, he's there at Gilgal. He's waiting with all of his men for Samuel to come, and as the, as the rightful person to do so, the priest to, to offer the, the burnt offering and the, fellowship or the, the worship offering, uh, Samuel doesn't show up exactly when he says he's going to be there. And so Saul, he jumps ahead, and he says, you bring me, you bring me the offerings, and I'll, and I'll offer them before the Lord. That disobedience caused God to have Samuel tell Saul that the kingdom would be taken from him then, and that another would become Israel's leader because of Saul's disobedience. And yet still, in our story, Saul is forging ahead, and again, he disobeys God without even giving it a second thought, it seems. So, so here's the first thing I want you to, to note about this. And we're going we're gonna to look at the positive side uh, as opposed to what Saul does, okay? So 
If you are an emotionally healthy person, emotionally healthy people develop self-awareness. Emotionally healthy people develop self-awareness. Here's Saul's problem. Saul did not have much of a sense of of self-awareness. He was completely self-absorbed, but not even remotely self-aware. Self-awareness is it's having a, a clear perception of your personality, including your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, the thoughts that you, that you deal with, your beliefs, uh, your motivations, and your emotions. And not only was Saul self-absorbed, but he had no sense whatsoever of his weaknesses, particularly in this area of obeying God. It was like what the prophet said went in one ear and out the other, kind of like raising teenagers. Did anybody relate? It was, like, it was like that. As a matter of fact, it was worse than that. In whatever state of mind Saul was in, he actually thought that he had done what the Lord asked him to do. Look what, look what it says in verse 13. It says, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Yea, me. What? Really? Like, on what plane of consciousness, what level of an alternate universe could you possibly think that what you did was what you were asked to do? And that was Samuel's reaction as well. Samuel was like, well, that's weird, because I'm almost positive I'm, I'm hearing the, the bleeding of sheep in my ears. Isn't, isn't that what I'm hearing? And uh, wait, aren't those, aren't those cows mooing that I hear? So, so Saul, I think we have a problem. There's, there's been a little bit of a, of a communication gap here. And right away, what does Saul do? Instead of owning what's going on, Saul starts to throw the soldiers under the bus. It wasn't me. It was the soldiers. They're the ones who, who brought the sheep and the cattle. I just came up with a brilliant idea to sacrifice them to the Lord. Later in verse 20, after, after Samuel has chastised Saul for his disobedience and outright asked him, why he did not obey the Lord, Saul is still in complete and utter denial. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. This, this really got me when I was reading through the story again this week. I mean, not just once, but later in the story, he says it again. I did obey the Lord. Saul said, I went on the mission. I did what I was supposed to do. I brought the king. And the soldiers brought the sheep and the cattle. And in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. He's still sticking to his story, standing by his lie, totally unaware, it seems, of the great big hole right in the middle of it. But that's what happens when we don't understand ourselves, when we are not self-aware, when we don't go out of our way to understand who we are and how we react in certain situations, what our blind spots are, and, and when we don't know what our strengths and our weaknesses are. And to do this, in order for us to really understand self-awareness and to be self-aware, we have to intentionally become introspective. We need to intentionally be people who, who look inside. Now, I know this probably makes some people uncomfortable. I'm not the most touchy-feely guy in the world. Those who know me well will tell you this. And I look at Heather, because Heather knows me quite well. I'm not that guy. But here's the thing. If we want to be the best that we can be for God, if we want to, to, to really serve God the way that we need to and, and live the way that God has called us to live, 
we need to understand this, this area of self-awareness. We've got to understand who we are and, and know what our weaknesses are, what our strengths are, and be able to, to operate in and around those things. Romans 12 and verse 3, uh, Paul writes, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now we read that verse, and most of the time we talk about, you know, we talk about pride, about puffing ourselves up, about thinking we're, we're something we're not. And that's, that's true. That's one of the things that Paul is saying here. But Paul is also saying something, something else that's very important. He says, this is in the realm of thinking of yourself, how we perceive who we are. We need to think of ourselves with sober judgment, Paul says. We need to be introspective. It takes personal reflection in order for us to be able to develop this kind of self-awareness that we're talking about. We need to take the time to know ourselves. But it also takes something else. It takes good people around us. Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. The one who has insight draws them out. We need good people around us who love us and who care about what happens to us to help us to see what we can't see about ourselves. That's what Samuel was trying to be for Saul. And yet Saul couldn't get there. We need people to tell us the truth about some of our shortcomings so that we can know what our blind spots are. But we also need to give them permission to tell us those things without getting angry or defensive in return. This is all critical when it comes to self-awareness. Proverbs also says that, that the wounds from a friend can be trusted. The wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6. And so I came across a list, and I want to just kind of give it to you rapid fire. Um, and you might want to write these things down. Seven signs that you're not as self-aware as you think. Seven signs you're not as self-aware as you think. And it might only be one or two of these that kind of tweaks with you. But here's the first one. You're a bully. You're a bully. Anger and aggression are signs that you feel threatened or scared. You go on the offensive and bully to protect something deep within you, something you don't want people to see. Often feelings of weakness and vulnerability. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that, that when we're trying to hide feelings of weakness and vulnerability, we actually come out as being someone who's aggressive. And so that's one sign that you could could not be as self-aware as you think. Secondly, you're defensive. When genuine and objective feedback makes you agitated or even angry, that's a sure sign. I'm not even sure why they call it defensive, since defensive people almost always deflect by going on the offensive. So you're a bully, you're defensive, you're controlling. And when I read this one, I say, ouch, I, I feel a little bit of a little twinge here, okay? When you behave in a controlling way, when you micromanage, pick on the little things, it usually means you're not dealing with a big thing that's really bugging you. It means you're not paying attention to something definitely taking you down a dark path. We need to be careful when, when we have this need always to control. Uh, you're passive-aggressive. When you say, sure, no problem, and then turn around and do the exact opposite, kind of like Saul. Saul was a little bit passive-aggressive, wasn't he? Yeah, okay, no problem. I'll go. We'll attack the Amalekites. I'll do exactly what you said. And then he comes back, and he says, I did exactly what you said, only he didn't even remotely do exactly what, what God said. This passive-aggressive issue. Um, 
And when you do this, it means you don't want to confront others or be confronted by them. It's a deflection, an attempt to throw them off the scent so that you don't have to deal with something that affects you deeply. And again, it's usually something you're not consciously aware of or something that makes you feel vulnerable or embarrassed. Uh, Your behavior changes. When your behavior changes to the point where it's noticeable to others who know or work with you, that's definitely a sign that you're really bothered by something and not aware of how it's affecting your mood. Uh, if someone brings it to your attention and you're defensive, remember the first, that other one? That's an even bigger sign. Uh, you're grandiose. When we make, when we make over-the-top overtures to how confident that we are in our ideas and our plans and our businesses, business strategies, when our strategies define objective reasoning, that's a sign that we're genuinely in over our heads and are overcompensating to appear like we've got everything under control. And the last one is we make excuses. You make excuses. Excuses, any kind of excuses, are ways of avoiding or deflecting negative attention. Pointing fingers and blaming others are common avoidance techniques that communicate our resistance to being held accountable. And we're going we're to see that in Saul's life even as we continue through the story. That's why playing the blame game is such a transparent sign of dysfunctional leadership or management. So first of all, Emotionally healthy people develop self-awareness. Secondly, emotionally healthy people cultivate a personal relationship with God. Emotionally healthy people cultivate a personal relationship with God. In verse 22 of our text, Samuel replied, and he says this to Saul, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Saul was more worried about doing the king thing than he was about obeying God. He, he cared more what the people thought than he did about what God was thinking. And so he wanted to do the right thing in the eyes of the people. He was religious, and that was his problem. In chapter 13, remember we said he got into trouble because he couldn't wait for Saul to get to Gilgal, and so he, he made the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And now here again in our story, Saul is, et- is attempting to be religious, to devote the best of the spoils to God. Admirable? Maybe. Except for one all-important thing. He does this in direct defiance of what God had already asked him to do. And there's a pattern that has developed here. Saul is not a worshiper of God. He doesn't have a relationship with God, but he wants to do all the right things in front of the people so that they will think that he does. He's religious, but he's not spiritual. Saul has not cultivated a personal relationship with his God. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we're not only religious as well, that we don't just do Christian-type things like going to church and doing devotions and singing in the choir or helping with children's church while we're at the same time not growing in a love relationship with God. When we come to Christ, we come just as we are. We come with all of our baggage and with all of our sin and all of our, our personal habits, and Jesus takes our sin away, and he makes us a new person, the Bible says, in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't do it just so that we can start doing a bunch of things and keeping a new set of rules. He does it so that we can have a relationship with God, His Father, through Him and what He has accomplished for us on the cross. He does it so that we can know His deep love for us and respond to that love and be changed by it. So Paul, we we read in Paul's words, he encourages us to live our lives 
in Christ. And Paul uses this term a lot in his writing. But in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, he writes and he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Can you see that this is a verse about relationship, not a verse about religion? not about doing stuff. It's about being in Christ. Jude chapter 1 and verse 20 in the message, 20 and 21, says, But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in this most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit and staying right at the center of God's love. See, here's the thing. We are not human doings. We are human, what are we? Human beings. We are human beings. And God wants us to love Him and to be in relationship with Him. As a matter of fact, He wants that more than He wants us to run around doing a bunch of things and trying to impress Him somehow. We don't gain, uh, we don't build a relationship with God by the works that we do. We build a relationship with God because we spend time with Him and we grow in a love relationship with Him. It's not that we shouldn't do things for God, but we shouldn't do them out of obligation or with some ulterior motive or to look good in front of other people. We should do them out of the overflow of the love relationship that we have with Him through Jesus. So don't get caught up in Christian activity and Christian doing so caught up that you neglect to just be with Jesus and just live your lives in Him. Think about marriage. Marriage is a contract between two people. But a great marriage is not one where each partner just fulfills his or her end of the contract. A great marriage is one that is filled with love, one where each spouse loves the other one so much that they do things for one another just because they want to because it gives them joy, because they just love being with that other person and doing life with them. They love spending time together no matter what they're doing. That's what a great marriage looks like. And so we don't, we don't just do things. We, we grow in a relationship of love with one another. And so that's emotionally healthy people. They develop self-awareness. They cultivate a personal relationship with God. And lastly this morning, they readily acknowledge issues of brokenness. Readily acknowledge issues of brokenness. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we feel broken, that when we are broken, we need to, we need to admit it. We need to acknowledge it. And we need to seek help and healing from God. These, these issues of brokenness that I'm talking about, they can be all kinds of things. It can be very multifaceted. It could be sin. It could be failure, arrogance. It could just be. It could be the loss of a loved one, maybe, or or it could be difficult circumstances that come into our lives. The loss of a job, or 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 something equally as as traumatic. It could be broken relationship. It could be any number of things. But emotionally unhealthy people don't deal with their brokenness even when they are faced with it sometimes. And, and I want us to look back at Saul. In Saul's case, it was just out-and-out out sin. But here's, here's Saul's first reaction when he's challenged by Samuel. He says to Samuel, finally, finally when sort of Samuel gets through to him, 
You know, he says to obey is better than sacrifice. And he, he talks about the sin of rebellion being worse than witchcraft, worse than divination. And, and he, he says to Saul, look, this is serious stuff. And you know what? Because of this, it's like now it's for certain. You will not, you will not remain as king of Israel. God's going to choose somebody else. God's torn the kingdom from your, from your hands, from your family. And so here's Saul's response in verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. So far, so good, right? But he can't stop there. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Excuses. It's like Saul can only go so far. He is totally caught in his sin. He is totally caught in his disobedience, yet he still will not take ownership for what's going on in his own spirit, in his own heart, in his own life. And this is classic. It's classic avoidance and blame and denial and deflection. If you've ever been around psychological terms, this is classic stuff. And so Saul throws the soldiers under the bus again. He blames them. It's not totally my fault. I was afraid of the soldiers, so I gave in to them. If you're going to get emotionally healthy, you've got to own your failure. You've got to own your own sin. You've got to own your broken relationship. Own your circumstance. Take responsibility for your part in the equation. And don't deflect. Don't blame. Don't deny. Look at what else Saul does here. Down in verse 30, again, Saul replies, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. In the very next breath, he's saying, okay, 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 I sinned, but, but don't tell anyone. Don't sell me out to the people. Please, please honor me before the elders of Israel so that we can go and publicly worship like nothing ever happened. That's not owning your sin, is it? It, We can never deal with the stuff that that we don't eventually bring out into the open. And so Saul, you know, he he sort of kicks into image consultant mode to damage control. I have to look good for my public. I've got to look good in front of the people. This can't get out or I'm finished. Saul is so proud and he is so arrogant and so concerned about his own self-image that he begs Saul not to out him with the people, and he doesn't want to own or acknowledge his own inner brokenness. It's a typical response. It's a typical response. When our personal world is eroding, we still fight to maintain some kind of public persona, don't we? We, we go to church like nothing's happening. We, we put on a good face. If someone else knows about our failure or our challenge, we beg them not to tell. But that's not the way to emotional health. If we truly want to, to get to the place of health, we need to readily acknowledge our brokenness. And, and we have a family that we can do that with. That's the wonderful thing about about the body of Christ, about the family or the community of God. We have a family that we can do that with. And a family that's not supposed to judge or condemn, but that will, with open arms, help us through our trouble toward a place of healing and restoration. James 5 and 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Can I just press pause here for a moment because, because this is a great opportunity for me to talk to you about a community life group, okay? I would not suggest that you get up on this stage on a Sunday morning and, and readily acknowledge your brokenness to the whole crowd. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But we need to find safe places. We need to find relationships, uh, groups, smaller groups of people where we can know and be known and where we can share those things that are going on in our hearts and in our lives. Whether, whether it's brokenness because of, of just some circumstance or challenge that's come in life so that others can come around and support, or whether it's, it's failure or it's sin, that we, can, that we can know that when we talk about that with this group of people, they're not going to judge us. They're not going to condemn us because we have... You know, we have rules. What happens at community life group stays at community life group. We are confidential in these groups. And, and I want to just stress and underscore that stuff, okay? And, and it's important that we have this kind of place, this kind of relationship where we can know and be known and where we can feel like we're not going to be judged or condemned, but that the body is going to gather around us and, and help us. Does that sound Christian to you? That sounds Christian to me. Okay? And I know we, we, we're nervous. We don't want to share with just anybody because we don't know. And we've been burned before in the past. That's why you need to get into a smaller group. You need to get to know those people. Get to the place where you feel safe and where you can trust them so that you can truly open up and, and feel secure in that kind of environment. That wasn't in my notes, so that made it longer. I apologize. But, you know, just throw that out there for free. Okay? So if you're not in a group... You maybe need to get in a group. And if there's not a group, I know there's a few groups that are represented here. Andre has one in his home, and, and uh, Mark and Arlene, they do a group. And um, who else? I think a couple of groups sort of joined together. We got four or something. You guys have a group, Andrew, with Rick? and Yeah. So there's some young adults that hang out together. Find some of these people and ask them about being in their group. And if they say, no, you can't be in my group, then um, kick them in the shins. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we'll help you get a group started. We'll help you get a group started, okay? But uh, it really, th- this is an important part of, of growing in Christ and being in Him. We need those people around us that we can trust. Uh, Psalm 51 and verse 17, we talk about readily acknowledging brokenness. It says, My sacrifice, O God, this is David talking, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And so, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if there's some kind of brokenness there that needs to be dealt with. Or maybe this was just, just a way to sort of help us all think about being more self-aware and, and more intentional about cultivate, cultivating our personal relationship with God. But I, I want to challenge you that as we walk through these next eight weeks, you know, today we've given just kind of an intro, an overview of, of, of what it means to be you know, emotionally healthy, what it means to sort of understand some of this stuff that we don't always deal with, that we like to push down, don't we? Some of that stuff, it starts to bubble up, you know, above the 10% line, and we just want to push it back down. We don't want to deal with it. But if we don't deal with it, if it never gets dealt with, then, then we're still broken. We're still, we're still fighting against, uh, you know, against ourselves in a lot of ways. And so I want to just encourage you uh, to not only listen over these next weeks, Get involved in discussion, either, either in a small group or here at CLG Experience on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and let's talk about some of these things so that we can learn together about what it means to be emotionally healthy. Uh, I got an email, funny enough, this week from EHS, from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is the organization that uh, sort of is running the book and, and doing all this stuff. And uh, it had a little list in it about the things that we need to quit if we really want to learn to be emotionally healthy, and here's just a quick hit list. Quit being afraid of what others think. Stop that. 
Quit being afraid of what others think. Quit lying. You say, well, I'm not a liar. Well, okay. But sometimes we lie to ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we tell ourselves that everything's okay when everything's not okay. Sometimes we tell other people that everything's okay when, when everything's not okay. And, and we, we do it to spare their feelings and to make them not feel uncomfortable. But really, we should be telling the truth. We're, we're the body of Christ, and, and we should be helping each other through these issues. Quit dying to the wrong things. Quit denying anger, sadness, and fear. These are real emotions that we all feel. And if we, if we push them down, they don't get dealt with. Quit blaming. Saul was great at that. You know, quit over-functioning, quit faulty thinking, quit living someone else's life. If you're trying to be somebody else and you're not, you're not who God made you to be, that's just, that's just wrong. And so we want to challenge you in a lot of these areas. We've all got a lot going on in that 90% of our iceberg that is beneath the surface. And over these next eight weeks, we're going to really focus together on becoming emotionally healthy, on writing, writing our inner world so that we can comfortably be who we are and grow in a healthy relationship with Jesus. Sound good? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word today, for this story. God, help us to, to, Lord, take the truth that we needed to hear today from this, and God, begin to apply it to our hearts, and Lord, begin to, to be reflective, God, so that, so that we can look inside of our own person, Lord, under the surface, and really know God, what you're doing in our lives, what you need to do in our lives, and where we need to give you full and complete control. So God, we pray, help us, fix us. We're broken, God. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, we just ask, God, even in in these moments of reflection, that you will speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.